Our scripture for today is Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among, from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Audrey, and thanks for pronouncing those names. <laughs> Might make people think twice about saying yes to that. Let me see how many names there are. Um, man, it's, it's good to be together uh, I did want to, last couple weeks, I've given updates on, on Patty and how she's doing. My wife, someone text or email me later in the week and was like, I visited the church. I'm assuming that was your wife that you were talking about. So my, my wife, Patty, and um, so we, mo- where we're at kind of right now is she, um, th- the evening, she still does incredible. Like she, last night, she were, like we stayed up late last night because we were having a really good conversation and praying together and we were like, hey, let's. She wakes up in a lot of like serious pain, and, and then we kind of go from there. It seems it's almost like Groundhog Day, where the night is great, and then but the daytime is just really is getting worse. And so, we're huge prayer requests is that we are looking at her going to an in treatment place that would maybe be a month long. Um, and maybe going as soon as this week. And so it's kind of off of us having conversations with doctors last week and talking as a family and different things. And it would basically help her get the medicines that are hurting her and not helping her, allow her to more quickly get off of those. Uh, then it's a place, though, that also specializes in chronic pain. Um, our insurance does cover most of it, which has been great, uh, but it is in Florida, so there's even logistical, like how much pain is she going to be in just getting there and stuff. So we're kind of doing, Lord willing, some due diligence to just double check. We're meeting with her family doctor again this week just to say, like, you know, let's talk about pros and cons. Let's make sure this is the place to be. But it feels like it's becoming clear, but our prayer is just like, Lord, if this is where Patty should go for a season to be better, like, you know, we want the Lord to direct us there. So. So, so yeah, appreciate your prayers there. We're as a family, you know, like both feeling really sad and frustrated and, you know, like I, I can't believe this has lasted this long and feeling a little hope, hopeful, you know, that it's like this might be a, a really good thing for her to step into. So yeah, really grateful for all of you guys and appreciate your prayers in those directions too. So, and always please like, um, don't, don't feel bad about asking me questions or, you know, hey, is the, the strategy change or whatever? Like, I, I, you know, we, we don't want to. I think one of my wife's strengths is she has very few filters. <laughs> she's, she's very open talking to people, and that's something I'm trying to grow into, that I'm not naturally bent that way. I, I don't think I'm secretive, but I also sometimes am just like, oh, yeah, I probably should have told you about that. So, um, so please ask me to. Like, I, I, I'm very much up for that. So, um, last week, we're in this Rediscover Church series, and the hope is just like, Lord, would you show us 
what we're doing here. <laughs> What's the importance of what we're doing here and, uh, and like grow us in all of this and, and let us maybe see things in a fresh way. And so last week, we, two weeks ago, we looked at why we should gather. Last week, we looked at what does leadership look like in the church um, what's Jesus' design for it, and we looked at eldership. So um, if you missed that, I would just encourage you, not because I was like, it was a great sermon, you know, uh, type deal, but it, instead, like, it's conversations we're going to have a lot, Lord willing, over the next year, and so let's all have, like, a common starting point, uh, then we're going to keep growing on that and, and keep diving deeper into that. So, so encourage you on that. So today, we're looking at the office of deacon. There are two offices in the church that are kind of like position roles. Maybe you call it like two roles in every church that's ever existed that Jesus has built to say the roles of deacon and the roles of, of elder. And I, would, I was just, I was searching on Google just like deacons in the Roman Catholic church, deacons in Lutheran church, deacons in Presbyterian church, deacons in Methodist church. And if you come from those backgrounds, or maybe this is your first time seriously stepping into the life of a church, um, depending on where we're coming from, when we think of the word deacon, there's a potential we're all thinking about wildly different things. You know, probably all connected to church. Like It's not like I thought of a horse or something. You know, like We're probably all thinking about things in the life of the church. But like in a lot of faith traditions, um, a deacon is someone who serves communion. And if you're like, well, what else do you do? You're like, well, that pretty much sums up what a deacon does is they're, they're serving communion. Like there's some, some groups that, that, that that's where they've led. And one of the things that I love about a church plant, there are a lot of things that are hard and it's like, man, Jesus has gotten a lot of these off the ground. This is amazing. Like I thought of that when we first had a baby. I was so concerned about Hannah and I was like, looked around. Like I remember we went to Walmart once and there were hundreds of people. And I'm like, I can't believe we've all survived this far. Like I can't believe we've all made it this far. Like because you just start realizing when you have a baby, like there's so much that could happen here, you know. And in the life of the church though, there's, man, there's a lot of things that it's just like, Man, it feels like all the stuff that goes against a church plan. But then it also allows you to take a fresh look at a community, take a fresh look at what a church is, take a fresh look at Scripture. What's a deacon? And so what, where we're going to start is where we first see the office of deacon come is in Acts chapter 6. Now, it's not saying like God was like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting to do this, but because of what's happening in Acts chapter 6, I guess we got to cobble together something here to fix something. It's in his design and in his providence, deacons has always been an office in the church. And what happened in Acts 6 was the right time for him to unveil and for us to see in a real life example what deacons are and what they do. So Acts chapter 6 Starting in verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, the disciples, summoned the full number of the disciples, all those who were being discipled into Jesus' believers and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this is Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, as promised, has come to the church. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is empowering incredible things happening in the church. Peter steps up, never preached a sermon before, full-time fisherman, been a disciple. Peter steps up and preaches a sermon where 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus after that message. So what we have in the very early church, this is in Jerusalem, after the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension of Jesus to heaven. So we have a mega church in Jerusalem, the first church, and the church is amazing. Awesome things are happening in this church. Like if we were all in Solomon's portico where this church was meeting, it's kind of an outside covered type place uh, close to the temple, uh, on the temple grounds. You know, I think if we were, if we were able to be a part of this, we would be like, this is exciting. Like, those are the disciples. And wow, like, how long have you been a believer? Today. How long have you been? Today. 3,000 people. You know, like, incredible things are happening. And from the get-go, there is a potential for division in the church. From the get-go. So, like, there are reasons in 21st century American Christianity, individualism, and all that stuff. There are, and just, there are so many reasons in our experience for there to be division. And I mean, gosh, if it's like, what, four months into us being a church, COVID happened. And then it's like, your view on masks, your view on vaccines, your view on distancing, you know, a presidential election. Holy cow. You know, and then just uh, critical race theory. Just uh, so many things in our culture that where division is prime, you know, and the, we could all keep adding to the list. And it's like, Tim, didn't even mention the big one for me. Or like, that may be true, right? And in the early church, like the very first church, when amazing things are happening. So it, it doesn't mean, well, gosh, amazing things were happening and now there's division or there's a threat of division. It's like, while amazing things are happening, there's also a complaint rising up in the church. So what is happening in Acts 6 is there are Hellenists and Hebrews as part of this new church. Both of these groups, and this, you know, I've heard people describe it differently, but I, I think the most kind of like um, scholarly work on this is that both of these groups of people are both Jewish in their ethnic background. Both the Hebrews and the Hellenists are both Jewish in their, um, in their ethnicity. The Hebrews that's talking about here are Jewish people who speak Hebrew and Aramaic. The Hellenists are also Jewish people, and I'm saying it that way because a lot of people say, oh no, they're just, they're Greeks. They're from like Athens or whatever. But what most work being done here is that the Hellenists are Jewish people, but there was a time when, when they left Israel. And it's the, the fancy term is the diaspora. 
So there was a time, if it was through like when they were conquered by Babylon or conquered by the Assyrians or just in the time of like a drought, like what we see in the book of Ruth, they like, you know, some of them just say, hey, I got to leave Israel. There's no water here. I got to go to Egypt or I got to go to Moab or whatever it may be. So it's people who left Israel for so long that they lost the language. And they now are Jewish background people who have moved back to Jerusalem because they're coming to Jesus in Jerusalem, but they speak Greek. They don't speak Hebrew or Aramaic, okay? So I spent a lot of time on that because I find it personally interesting, but then also to know, like, okay, these people have something, some, a lot of things in common, but they also have significant differences, like they speak different languages, and they now have been brought together into the same church, and language barrier is not the issue, that's being presented here in Acts 6, what the issue here that is threatening to divide the church has to do with they, this church has set up a daily meal, one daily meal for widows. So if, if you are a widow, you know you can at least get one meal a day at the church. And, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, that's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, Right? <laughs> For a church in first century Rome, for the first church with all the new things they have going on, for them to develop a system and, and the money and all the things that it would take to feed widows once a day, the church is doing a good thing. It's doing a really good thing. The complaint is that the Hebrew widows, who are speaking Hebrew and Aramaic, they get served the meal. But the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking widows who have given their lives to Jesus, probably most, many of them, now they probably are not discriminating, saying, oh, no, you can't have one because you have to do this first. I'm sure they're, they're, they're being really generous in how they're doing it. But the, the Greek-speaking widows are, not, are being neglected. And we're, we're not told in Scripture Why? Well, there's a language barrier, and they didn't know it was at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, you know, or, or 10 a.m. or something, and, or they didn't know. Like, we don't know why the Hellenists were left out. Maybe it was connected to the language barrier. Maybe it was, it was a straight-up racist prejudice action. You know, no, there's enough to go around, so let's get our own first. Or just, we do not know, but what we do know is that no one is ever rebuked for the way, it, way, the way it was happening. You know, the, the disciples are never like, you know, please forgive us. This has been a dreadful decision. We have such, we even are recognizing we have that in our heart. Like, they, they don't go there. So we're never told why they were left out. Um, no one is fired, it seems like. In no way is anyone in Acts 16 is doing anything sinful, willfully sinful, let's say. But... The church had to change. The church had to grow to be able to do what is right and to be able to do what it's called to do, to serve in a way that would care for the Hellenist widows and serve in a way that would prevent division in the church. So this complaint is rising up. There, I'm sure there's murmuring. I'm sure that there's really outspoken people. There's people that aren't as outspoken, all this stuff. And we see deacons come up 
for this purpose. And so one of the points that I think is important not to, like, to, to grasp, and I found this fascinating to meditate on uh, this week too, in Rediscovering Church is that, and we have a slide for this, deacons serve the church in a way that division dissolves. Deacons serve the church in a way that division dissolves. Now, it does not mean that the church will be perfect with deacons. Um, later on, Paul is raising money because um, basically people are starving to death in Jerusalem, in the church. So it's like hard times come and all this stuff, but what it, 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 so it doesn't mean that the church will be perfect with deacons, but what it, what it does mean is that the installation of deacons was at a time where there was a lot of tension in the church and there was a lot of awesome things happening. And the deacons had to be raised up to serve, lead the church through serving in a way that division dissolves. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 again. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Let me read that again, okay? Now remember, this is to serve a meal. You know, it could say, we need ten warm bodies who know how to do this. Look what it's saying. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So an outside observer could think, anybody could do that. I mean, we could probably train a monkey to, to serve food. But what the church knew and what God led the church to know is that in the middle of conflict, with Jesus' heart for unity, the church knew they were directed by God that this was an office in the church that would take a great amount of character. It would take a, a lot of character. It would take a lot of wisdom. It would take Holy Spirit power because these deacons, they're not just serving a meal. They're serving in a way that they're ministering to people. Because they're serving human beings who are in a tough, a tough place. They're ministering Jesus to people through their serving. And even through the words that they share as they're serving. You know, they're not just like... You know, they, they're probably like, hey, what's your name? Hey, how did you get here? What's, uh, you know, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Oh, how, how, what are other ways the church can help? Oh, man, how have, you, how have you been walking with Jesus in this? Do you know him? You know, they're actually being humans, <laughs> talking to another human. And they're likely interacting with the people that they're serving, but they're also very likely, you know, it, they appoint seven people. And there could be hundreds, especially in first century Rome, how brutal 
of a society that was, there could be hundreds of, of widows. Seven people isn't going to cut it. And the ladies might be, especially seven guys, you know, or something. Like, like we, we need diversity of men and women involved and stuff. So the, the deacons likewise are also interacting with people who are helping them serve. And so they're helping to lead people in serving and not just, their, you know, they're just the ones handing out, out the food. And so um, uh, they're spending time in, in this. And as it's clear that they have a serving role more than elder, an overseer role, they do need to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Maybe they'd encounter people who are swindlers, you know, a guy with a wig on or something that's just trying to get a meal every day, or, or who knows, like, they might be encountering people who are trying to take advantage of the situation, and they need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And while they're doing this, what the elders are doing are devoting themselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. And in the previous verse, they said that they shouldn't give up preaching, the elders said. Now, um, they add here in this verse that they will focus, their focus is going to be on prayer and the ministry of the word. So I see them like they're praying for people. You know, they've, deacons have met a lady and, and wow, you know, can I bring you to, to the elders and have them pray for you and anoint your head with oil and, and pray for healing. Um, I see them uh, praying with people, uh, praying, praying for people, praying just for things as they're coming up, but also praying against principalities of darkness. You know, uh, we saw this in the book of Ephesians, that, like our battle is not with flesh and blood. Um, and then when they talk of ministry of the word, that's not just like, hey, we're just going to be preaching 24-7. I think they're, they're doing biblical counseling. They're, they're bringing the word of God and teaching it and preaching it um, in leading ways of the word. And I think like a second big point here, and I think I just realized I don't think I updated the slide, so I reworded it a little bit, so maybe just hear it here, is deacons respect both their calling and the elders' calling. Deacons respect both their calling and the elders' calling. So when like the elders are like, hey, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, deacons aren't like, good, I don't like that. Good, I hate those things. It's like, no, the deacons are like, I so value prayer and the necessity of prayer in our church. And it's not like the deacons aren't praying, but the deacons are, are valuing the elders calling, saying, yes, you need to do that. You need to pray. You need to be freed up to really minister the word of God. So, so we will do this so you can do that. Don't put, you know, put that plate down, Peter, you know, put it down, like, Go and pray. Minister the word of God. We got this because we value your role in the life of the church. And then a deacon is, is not being like, hey, why did this scrutiny in my life have to be a person? I'm just serving. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, just let me serve. Like back off. Don't look too deeply into my life. A deacon's not saying, because they're valuing their calling of saying, the Lord has called me to a, a very important thing in the midst of important times for, for, for these people. And uh, especially in the Roman world to realize 
it, it truly was ruthless per, to people who were struggling. Ruthless to people who were struggling. There were, um, there were clubs. What was very common in the Roman world was they would form clubs that you would join and there would be high initiation and it would be very, very expensive to join this like, oh, I'm a part of this society or I'm a part of this club. And you can look it up. So many of these clubs, what they were designed to do was bury you when you die. Which is like shockingly sad. Like in our culture, we're like, no, your family, like everybody gets a proper burial and family and all this stuff. What was common at that time is like your family wouldn't even bury you. So you had to join a club and pay money that they would guarantee when you die, we will not just leave you out on the street. I mean, that's the brutality that these people are used to living in. And now there's a church that's saying like, not only do we value you, not only do we see that there's infinite value in you because you're made in the image of God, and they might even be like, I've been believing this for four days, y'all, or something. Like, this is all news to me too, but what God has taught me is that you have incredible value. I have incredible value. People have infinite value, dignity, and worth. And as God's people, we need to be caring caring about people and the way that we serve people, it'll let them know that, that Jesus has changed us. The way we serve people, it'll let us know that, let them know that, that this is real. Like no one serves me like this. I usually have to pay for this type of service and I'm, I'm getting better service than what I'm paying for. I'm just paying that someone would bury me. And so what, what I, I, I love here is that the deacons stepped into this. And the early church, the people they chose were like, yes, I know our culture says these people have no worth. We're going to look for our, our most walking with Jesus people who are called to this. Uh, now, I kind of take back saying that because I think many people were walking with Jesus in this way. And the office of deacon isn't the top rung of the ladder that only three people could ever be awesome enough to step into. It's, um, we'll see here in the qualifications once again, like elder, they should be qualifications for all of us who are walking with Jesus. We're just saying like the deacons need to prove that they have walked with Jesus in a way that they meet these qualifications because the people that we're serving, even if they're homeless and have no money, they are so valuable and we need to honor God with how we approach them. And the church responds beautifully. Look at verse five of how the church responds and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Audrey, I think you did better pronouncing those than I did, just as a side note. Um, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. See the value that the elders are giving? to people, they're laying, like almost the way that we're like, hey, we want to value fifth graders going to the sixth grade. 
Like we're excited for them to go to the well. We value them. We're going we're gonna to lay our hands on them. In that type of way, they're doing that to these people. These they set before the apostles, those who actually had been discipled by Jesus, and they prayed, laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Old Testament priests serving in the temple in Jerusalem. They wouldn't have been in a synagogue, probably, if they're in Jerusalem. They're serving at the temple and a great many of them seeing people been like, the Hellenists and the Hebrews are cool with each other. In a church together, tell me more. I'm listening. The result, so before the rising up of the deacons and commissioning them into the office, in verse 1, a complaint is rising up in the church. Now, being added to the church, verse 7 reports to us that the word of God is continuing to increase. It's like a plug was removed. The word of God is continuing to increase. The deacons are ministering the word through their serving. The elders are ministering the word through preaching. The deacons are ministering the word through serving. The elders are ministering the word through preaching, teaching. All the church are being equipped to do the work of the ministry, and even Old Testament priests, a great many, I mean, he would say several if it was like four, a great many of them are giving their lives to Jesus and joining the church. Wow. An important point for us here, rediscovering church, is that deacons serving the church led to special growth. Deacons serving the church led to special growth. Usually a point like that would be applying to us and I just struggled with that. I was like, well, I don't want to say deacons leading the church will mean that the roof gets blown off this place. You know, deacons leading the church will mean that everybody we've been praying for would come to Jesus, would come to Jesus. Th- those things can't be confidently said. What can be confidently said is deacons serving the church led to special growth. Growth in a really special way in the life of the church. Just like the office of elder, Scripture gives us qualifications for deacons too. We're not going to spend a lot of time on these right now. We will spend a lot of time uh, on these as we walk towards installing deacons in the life of our church, uh, Lord willing, over the next year plus. Once again, these traits are traits that should characterize all of us. And we're just saying deacons need to... We need to see that they do characterize deacons, and we'll rejoice in that. Uh, that's part of a, a long process sometimes, is to say, like, well, let's, let's help you grow to where those traits do characterize you. You know, we're not like just, just like, well, you had your chance. You're on, the, you're on the bad list now. We're like, hey, we think God is calling you. As we hear your heart, as, as we pray, we think God is calling you to this office. You know, what if this change and this change led to where six months from now we can have this incredible ceremony where we install you into that office and see what happens in the life of our church when that happens. So here's the qualifications. This is not exhaustive. It's mentioned other places, but 1 Timothy 3 is where we'll look this morning. Verse 8 says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, 
Often they're handling money. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. This is also a reason why most churches don't install deacons on day one. Because it doesn't give time for them to be tested in the life of the church. So let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise should be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So character, once again, is What's important? It's not like, hey, what are your Excel spreadsheet skills? You know, we've got a test that we have and stuff. And like, uh, you can trust what they say. You can trust them with money. They follow Jesus with childlike faith. They've been tested. They need to have had a period of time in the church where they've been tested. And, and I, by that, I think, I mean, like, they've had opportunities to lie, cheat, and steal. They've had opportunities themselves to create a lot of division in the church, maybe. And once again, there's grace, there's restoration, there's forgiveness, all of that stuff. They've had opportunities to just take their ball and go home. And it's like, man, we've seen, we've worked through it. We've gotten through it. We're looking for them, uh, um, and say this too, only Jesus does any of this perfectly. (laughs) So in no ways it's like, man, they slipped up once. You know, like, um, only Jesus is perfectly living out any qualification. What we are praying for is, are we following him? And, and growing in his ways and being taught, taught by him. Um, their children and their household should look like Jesus has captured this family. It takes wisdom to discern that. There might be skills that would be helpful, um, but the qualifications care about the person. And one of the sayings I like is a saying that says, uh, you need to have something to say. You do. Like if someone's like, hey, tell me about Jesus. And you're like, never heard of him. You know, like it's like, well, we need to grow there. You, know? you need to have something to say, but you need to have a life that you can say it from. And man, that's, that's true for me. That's true for all of us. And that's true for deacons. Like as they're serving, they're serving from, from their lives, you know, and, and walking in that um, So what do we do with this? What's implications for us today? First, does being a deacon sound amazing to you? Are you listening to being like, okay, Lord help me, but I would love that. If I was in the first century church, I'd be like, and they're like, hey, would anybody like to be considered? Dive into your life, pray. And it's not like, well, I'd have to stab the other guys because they're only accepting this many positions and, or whatever. But it's just like putting every side, does, like, does that sound amazing to you? If the Spirit of God called you and empowered you, that you'd be like, man, I'd love to let the, the elder, like me and the other elders of the church one day, like, man, I'd love to have them really focus on praying. I'd really love to have them really focus on ministering the Word of God, overseeing the church, and man, like, while, while we're a part of bringing unity and peace to the church and, and into people's lives and, and stepping into our community and the brokenness of our community and, and meet tangible needs and, and, and do it in a way that, that we're seeing people added to the church, like, 
I could binge watch some show on Netflix, but I want to be a part of that. There's like, I, I want to be a part of that. Then like, that's, this, that, that's really appropriate for right now is, is would you love that? And if so, like, let me know. Or pray with people in, the, in your community group or, or talk to your spouse or, or talk to a friend and be like, you know, my heart really came alive as, as Acts 6 was, was being, uh, as we were walking through that. And the second is an implication for us today is all of us are called to serve. Jesus set the example that said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And so, and this is our, our last point, um, is all are called to serve. Yes, there is a special office of deacon, but we're all called to serve. And it made me think this past week we had, uh, I don't remember what night of the week it was, Wednesday night? Oh, no, maybe Wednesday night. We had um, all the student leaders over to our house um, from, from the well uh, Thursday night. And it was really cool listening. So we have high school students that can apply, and basically they're, they're leading through serving at the well and really cool things have happened through, through them. But one of the neat things was to listen to them talking. There's seven of them, I believe. And hear them basically say like, hey, I used to just come to the well. And now I feel like I'm like going on mission when I go to the well. Like I'm, I'm showing up. Kind of like the coach I'm ready to put in type thing. Like that's like the, the heart that they have as they're arriving at the well is like, Lord, use me. Like, here I am. And like, I want to serve however I need to serve. I want to see the person that no one else is seeing. I want to move towards the sixth grader that's never been to the well before and is like, I don't know what happens here. You know, and man, what if a sophomore or junior or senior walks up and says, hey, I'm glad to see you here. Like, it's a, that's a game changer for middle school, high school. It's also a game changer for adults if, you, if we're honest with each other, you know, and, and just the way of, of having a heart not to be served, but to serve. And really, the way that we have this heart is not by trying harder. The way we have this heart is by letting Jesus serve us. Because that's what he said. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so letting Jesus serve us is really how we get the heart of service and how the heart of service grows in us. Some people need to let Jesus serve you by saving you, giving your life to him, saying, I, you have communicated to me, I feel it in myself, like my sin separates me from you. And I can't stop sinning long enough to just become this perfect person. Actually, you came, what Scripture teaches us is he came to serve us by living the perfect life in our place that we should have but couldn't, dying a death on our behalf, and his death was the death we should have died. We should have each been sentenced to a death sentence based on our rebellion against him. And so he sent his son, who volunteered as well, to come and to, to walk into the death sentence for us. And thankfully, he spent three years ministering and teaching and giving us the New Testament and all those things before he did that. And he conquered death, and he is alive and well. So, we, so you can pray to him, and he is 
present. He hears and he promises to answer that prayer every time when someone says, here I am, save me. I give my life to you. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he serves us by salvation. But then for those who have given our lives to him, he serves us with his love. He serves us with his care for us. He serves us with his presence. And that's, communion isn't necessary for us to have him serve us in this way. But he has given us communion as a beautiful way to say, let me serve you. And if those who are, who are serving us communion uh, would, would come forward, we put um, plastic gloves on. You can walk up and with your hands like this and they'll place in uh, bread, which represents his body lived in our place. Take wine or juice, obey your conscience there, which represents his blood shed for us. And the way that we do this is we'll, we'll spend time meeting with him. We'll spend time Spend time, spend some moments praying, letting him serve you. And then we'll come down the center aisle and, um, and let Jesus serve us again by, uh, by his presence through communion. So, um, so take the elements, remain standing, and I'll lead, lead us through taking it together as family.